Hello, good friends. This is Dan Jones with another quiet talk to share with you today. The summer of 1967 was called the Summer of Love. My old listeners will remember, during that year, the Beatles released a single called All You Need Is Love. It was a big hit. Everybody doesn't relate things like this to their theological beliefs like I do, but I can imagine that among my friends and listeners, some people believe the song could have almost come right out of the Bible, and a few others, perhaps, might consider it rank heresy. So, in this quiet talk today, let us answer the burning question, is it true that all you need is love? As with most questions like this one, the answer is, it depends. In this case, not on what the meaning of is is, but on what the meaning of love is. See how I did that? Let me read a few verses from one of the most love-filled books in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Hallelujah! Can I get a witness? If I weren't concerned with copyright infringement, I would play an excerpt from the song right here. John Lennon would be saying amen if he were listening. And I have no doubt that if he were alive today, he would be a subscriber to this podcast. But as you may have noticed, what I just read was not a few verses. It was just half of one verse. Let's go on. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Notice how Paul qualifies that abounding love. He wants our love to abound with real knowledge and all discernment. So for Paul, the word love was not just a mushy, sentimental thing. It had a lot of substance, a lot of meaning. So what is this knowledge that love should be abounding in? Well, the knowledge of God is a bottomless ocean, but we can still make a few comments here and stay within our time limitations. First of all, love should abound in the knowledge that the source of genuine love is holy God. The God who wants us to love demonstrated his love for us by offering up his only son to die for our sins. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, just try to imagine what Jesus looked like hanging on that bloody cross. 
Another area of vital knowledge related to this is the knowledge that the sin that Jesus died for will damn forever those who reject his offer of love and forgiveness. Then there's that other word, discernment. Discernment has to do with understanding what's behind things, understanding that what we see on the surface is not always what really is. What people call love is not always related to what the Bible calls love. Discernment is needed. In the Bible, love is related to truth. If you're unwilling to speak the truth, you can't be acting in love. A fear of the consequences of telling the truth springs out of selfishness. I don't want anybody to not like me, so there are certain truths I'll just avoid talking about. According to Ephesians 4.15, we must speak the truth in love. One way to do that is to lovingly warn people of the temporal and especially the eternal consequences of sin. I think we would all agree that Jesus Christ was the most loving person who ever lived. He gave his life to save the world. As he himself stated, there is no greater expression of love than laying down your life for someone else. He did that. But he also spoke the truth, even when he knew those he was speaking to wouldn't like it. In Matthew 15, Jesus said to those who opposed him, You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Later on, his disciples said to him, Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you said? And Jesus said, Oh no, that's the last thing I ever want to do. Get them back here so I can apologize. Right, he didn't say that. Instead, he said, Let them alone. They are spiritually blind. Then, as he further answered his disciples, he gave a list of sins that he said flow from the heart and cause true spiritual contamination. Some of the sins on that list we avoid talking about in church today for fear of sounding prudish or judgmental. So love, as the Bible talks about it, is anything but squishy and soft. It is a love that seeks the conviction and conversion of sinners. The next phrase of our passage says that the result of abounding love will be that we approve what is excellent. This implies that you disapprove things that aren't. Today in Christian circles, especially when it comes to sexual sins, the constant mantra is, don't judge. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, don't judge, lest you be judged with the same judgment you mete out. In John 7, 
he said that we must judge with righteous judgment. What's the deal? When Jesus said not to judge, he meant that we should not condemn people. God can save anybody. That vile sinner on the street may be led to repentance someday and become a sincere believer. But that doesn't mean that we don't agree with God in his judgment. God has the uncontested right to judge everybody. Someday Jesus will return to this earth to judge the living and the dead. And just so we won't be taken by surprise, he has told us in advance what the criteria will be. He has clearly defined sin and righteousness. It's kind of like a teacher who gives his class all the answers to the final exam questions the week before the test. So if I'm telling you what God has already judged to be sinful, I'm not a judge myself. I'm just a messenger. As a matter of fact, if a preacher of the gospel uh, does not tell people what sin is and that they're lost because they didn't know, God will judge that preacher severely for being unfaithful. As I alluded to a minute ago in talking about what love really is, God doesn't convict us in order to condemn us. He convicts us in order to convert us. When the doctor tells you to quit smoking, he's not being judgmental. He's trying to help you. May God deliver us from all pharisaical self-righteousness. Every one of us is a sinner, especially me. I am so thankful for the love of God manifested in the sacrifice of his one and only Son for us. Let our preaching of righteousness always be motivated by love and compassion for the lost, a love that is willing to be rejected and vilified for proclaiming the truth of God. Listen now once again to Philippians 1, 9 through 11, the passage we started with today. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, fill us with the love of Jesus. Let our hearts overflow with compassion for the lost. May we truly speak your truth in love. May we never be afraid of what people will think of us. But may our only concern be the day of Christ when God will judge the secrets of men according to the gospel. Amen. If you're new to these talks and wonder who I am and what I'm up to, I, along with some other wonderful Christians, are planting a new church congregation in the Schenectady, New York area.
It's called Bread of Life Anglican Church. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 1809 Union Street at the corner of Cornelius. That happens to be the American Legion Hall. If you don't have a church home or are just an inquirer where the Christian faith is concerned, we would be honored to meet you this Sunday. As always, I may be reached by email at father.danjones@outlook.com. at outlook.com. God bless you.